0: We turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 12? What we're going to do is begin in verse 10 and read through the end of the chapter. If you don't have your Bibles with you, you can turn to the back of your order of worship. Just to remind you of where we're at in the book of Genesis. Uh, Scripture is always clear to us when it shows us what real faith looks like, and it never holds back what unbelief looks like. Every character that arises in Scripture apart from Jesus, it shows us the weakness of these men that they never were intended to be the Savior. And in this chapter, as we saw last week, the remarkable faith of Abram. That wore in him a spot in Hebrews chapter 11 in the Hall of Faith. And that makes it all the more shocking this morning that in the same chapter, we see Him exercise what seems to be a complete lack of faith. This is the Christian life, brothers and sisters. It is the ebb and flow. It is the ups and downs of faith. Moments when we walk by faith and moments when we lapse and we trust ourselves and our own instincts and our own grit. In the midst of the Christian life then, God sends trials to test our faith. That's what we will see this morning. God doesn't simply call us. He transforms us and He shapes us. He does so by trial. This is where we see Abram. Let me pray and then we'll read God's Word. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. It can be trusted, God, as You can be trusted. It is so tied with You, God. That it is never changing as you are never changing. And so, as we come, Father, would it be a balm to us and a comfort to us, Lord, that we might believe it. No matter what happens in this life and in this world, that this is true. You have so loved us that You sent Your only Son, Jesus, that He is our comfort and our peace, that He is the promised One, and that He Himself has poured out the Comforter upon His church and made His home in us. As John 10 tells us, what can snatch us from this hand? And so, Lord Jesus, be magnified and glorified in our presence this morning. I pray that we would have faith and that You would help us if our faith be weak. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Look at God's Word. Verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Then he was about to enter Egypt, and he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say that you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. So when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. This is God's Word for His people. Amen? So trial is promised to those that God loves. And you might wonder, how could a loving God ever do this to His people? This morning, we will observe three things as we look at the trial that is placed before Abram. One, where is the real famine? Two, how do we manage trials? And three, what do we do when God wounds us? One, where's the real famine? I wonder how often we would overcome our sin if we were clinging to every word from God in the Bible. If we were feeding on His Word, how better fed would we be to overcome trial, any trial that is placed before us? I actually find it to be a pattern in my own life that I go to God's Word after I sin for the peace and the comfort. If only I would have gone as I was being tempted, as the trial pressed in and it was heavy, we want the peace, but we don't want the help. Look at Abram. And consider how he has been carried along by God to Canaan. In which he received the promise from God that this is now your land, brother. This is yours. I give it to you. Still occupied by the Canaanites. It's yours. And there he set up, Abram did, many uh, altars and worshiped God. He, pinched, he uh, uh, pitched his tent in Bethel and made it a place of worship. But in the time he spent there, something has happened. The faith that led him to leave his nation, to leave his family, to leave his father and his inheritance is now going to be tested by God. Verse 10, Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Abraham is facing a severe challenge. Not just feeding his, his family and all those that went with him and his animals, but a challenge to his Faith. A hungry family and starving animals has pressed him. It's, it's pushing down on him and his mind to see what he really believes. And God gave him good land, but now that land is not producing the very things that he needs to survive. And Abram obeyed God's Word to go and believed His promises, but now when he looks out his door of his tent... All he sees is impending disaster. Where was God now? Did God bring him here to die? Is God even big enough to solve the issue that he is now facing? Hebrews 11 tells us what faith is. The assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. The only thing that Abram sees is the severe famine before him. We don't see Abram erecting the altars like he did when he first came into the land or praying to God for provision. Instead, we see a man that is desperate to avoid the trial of his faith by human reason. I mean, hunger has a way of doing that, right? I know that uh, I struggle to make it between breakfast and Lunch. This man's starving. The land is wasting away under severe famine, but I would argue that the real famine for Abram is in his heart. The language of verse 1 leads us to this. It wasn't merely that he was going down geographically to Egypt, he was going down spiritually. What burns so brightly for this man in his faith has dwindled back to a barely burning wick when he found himself suffering. And he has made the decision that he would leave this place in Bethel, which by the way means the house of God, and go to a place that he knows full well is dangerous. Listen to what he says, right? Read it. He thought to himself, if I stay where God brought me, I will starve to death. But if I go to Egypt, my danger will be that Pharaoh will see my beautiful wife and he will kill me and he's going to take her away. I mean, is that really a better option? It's a tough situation and Abram thinks he sees how it will play out. He's already forgotten that the the, the God who has delivered him this land sees the future. He sovereignly reigns over it and He orchestrates everything that happens on this earth. And so far, His Word has delivered. Instead of contemplating, though, God's promises of blessing of future children, the nation, He has already forgotten because of the intensity of the trial. And we begin to see how deep his faith really runs. I think at this point, Abram's God is a little too small. His understanding of God is still that He is too small. I reckon that we're not much different than Abram. Sometimes God is just too small for our particular problems, if you've ever felt this way, you are in the midst of a famine. What we need is some daily bread to remind us of God's promises and of His faithfulness. That's what Deuteronomy 6 says to the Israelites, as they're to go into the land. Listen, because you'll probably forget, don't stop talking about it. It says, talk about it when you rise. Talk about it when you go to bed. Let the conversation be while you sit to eat and go along the way. When you're sitting in your house, don't stop talking. Instead, Abram is in the valley of the shadow of death. And all he sees in the darkness is how will he navigate himself out of it? trial has a way of sorting out what we really believe in fact this is good for israel to hear they're the first ones to receive genesis moses is writing to them while they're in the wilderness about this old story of abram they themselves have asked the question to moses did you bring us here to die to a land has no walls to protect us? No water? No food? What have you done to us? Back in Egypt, we had meat pots to eat out of. I forgot that's the place they had to throw their babies in the Nile. And so God provided for Israel in the wilderness manna from heaven every morning to be satisfied And He gave them the instruction. You don't need to pick up food for the rest of the week. You pick up just enough for the day. I will give you just enough for the day. And so it is with the daily bread of God's Word that if we would feed on it daily, we would be satisfied in what God tells us about Himself. His promises and His love. Jesus Himself, He faced severe famine, so to speak. Forty days in the wilderness. Had nothing to eat. Weak. At the point of death. This is when Satan comes and tempts Him. But we find that even though Jesus wasn't feeding on physical bread, something else was feeding His soul. So that He could answer, the temptation from Satan with, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This morning, are you in trial now? If you are, I might ask you, how does it go with your soul? Do you have the nourishment to sustain you through what you're going through? Can you recall the promises of God? Have you sought the peace and the understanding that comes from drawing close to God in His Word? Trials promised. That's not popular. (laughs) And He doesn't withhold it from anyone in the world, but He has an intimate and a special purpose for it in His children. For his people, he sends it not that we would flee and try to run away from it and, and be out of it as quick as possible to go down to, uh, like, Abram to Egypt, that we wouldn't run from him physically and spiritually. He gives it to us so that we might draw in even closer to him who has made us promises. And trial always exposes where we are weak. That we may draw strength from Him. Remember, He didn't even hold it back from His own Son. Hear what Jeremiah says. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who confides in Him. Notice, for the one who does is the thriving that happens they will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream it does not fear when heat comes its leaves are always green it has no worries in the year of drought and it never fails to bear fruit planted in the word of god that's how one overcomes spiritual famine Where are you planted this morning? What directs your path and what dictates whether you will believe God and trust Him? Are you willing to trust Him in the ease of life? Only? What about when the rubber meets the road and it hurts? We're called to trust in Him in all circumstances so that if we find ourselves in the valley of the shadow of death, we, write, we remember that God says, I am there with you. So firstly, we must assess, is there famine of His Word in our own hearts and lives so that we can understand our second point and answer the question, how do we manage trial? What do you do when life comes at you fast? Uh, We batten down the hatches, right? We go into survival mode. We become reactive. If life comes fast, we move faster. It's, it's a whirlwind. You go at it breathless because you can't get your head above the water to catch some air. You can't sleep. You can't turn off the fear. And so we scheme and we, we draw together all our resources and all our strength for what must be done to get through today, much less, uh, what does it look like to get through a week or a year? How long is this going to be around? And we instinctively do not like trial because it hurts. Children, look up here. How many of you, when you get hungry, know what to do, right? What do you do if you get hungry? You say, Mom, Dad, I'm hungry. Feed me. You you, you instinctively know when there's some pain, when there's some trial of hunger, to call out. This is what it's teaching us. That you already know to do this. Call out to your mom and dad. It's teaching us, kids, to call out to our Father. When you have a difficulty, cry out. And this Father responds. Why? Because He promises, I will always meet your needs. In our Western culture, we're largely unfamiliar with trial. Some of us can pay to make it go away. Some of us uh, 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 have everything that we uh, need, and so we don't ever have to think about it. Uh, I had the experience for a year with the to go to Uganda, and it taught me more about trial and my own thoughts on it, and what seemed to be righteous by observing how these brothers handled trial. Uh, uh, they, they heard from me. I complained a little bit about the suffering that I was going through. And they told me, not, you'll get out of it soon, brother, but that this is what the majority of their life looked like whether it was feeding their families or the hardship that they went through in ministry, they lived in such a way that it wasn't how can I get out of it, but this is what the Lord gives and the Lord is good and He has met me every day. And they were thriving. And all I wanted to do was get out of it. Wrong question. What can I do to get rid of it? Instead, they taught me what can we do? Learn from it. Abram Abraham starts scheming in verses 11-13. through 13. He says to his wife, I know you are a beautiful woman in appearance. Not just lifting her up here. And when the Egyptians see you, they will kill me, but they'll let you live. Tell them you're my sister. That I may, it may go well with me because of you. And that my life may be spared for your sake. Do you hear the problems here? Why was this sin on his part? Well, God had promised Abram He would bless him and give him many children. How could he fear that he was going to die? Did God lie to him? And if God made these promises, could He have not fed him when others didn't have food? Just like He did for Israel in the wilderness. Could not this God have fed Abram in the land that He had promised to him? Think what it would have taught those others that lived there, those Canaanites worshiping their idols of fertility and their idols of agriculture. Abram's God could feed him in the middle of a famine. Instead, they saw him tuck tail and run down to Egypt where there's plenty. Showing them that Abram's God, in his mind, was as small as the gods of Canaan. Abram trusted God in the visible, the things that you could see, the visible provisions and blessings that were immediate, but in the unknown circumstances or the unknown reasons why there was now a severe trial upon him, he had less confidence in God. Abram actually trusted his own ability to save himself. And he would do this at the expense of his own wife. They're going to take you, but it's so I can live, sweetheart. I'm so glad you're beautiful. The lie for him would justify the end. And he feared when he should have trusted. And he told a lie instead of believing the truth of God's word. And I don't think we can point our fingers at him without a little bit of hypocrisy in our own hearts knowing that very often we do the very same thing. Trial management is not God's goal for us. It's trial advancement. First Peter 1 says, though for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious, Then gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Trial is to result in knowing Christ more intimately through our suffering and through our pain. To know more of His sustaining hand. To have His promise be the rock that you can reach out and cling to when the torrent seems to, uh, uh, seeks to, to take you, drown you, and wash you away. Trial seeks to, to place you on the concrete of a sure faith rather than the sinking sand that is all around you. When sorrows, we heard that in the opening, when sorrows like sea billows roll, though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed His own blood for my soul. If all else is suffering, can we say, it is well with my soul how precious it is for the saint to be able to say that. And as a matter of irony, it's Pharaoh. Pharaoh who manages the trial better than Abram. He believed Abram at his word and he took his sister and rewarded Abram with sheep and oxen and donkeys and servants and camels. But Pharaoh was affected by Abram's sin. For God was protecting His promise to this man. And so Pharaoh's house was afflicted by um, uh, plagues, it says. But Pharaoh did more to protect the bride of Abram than he did. He acted more righteously. Seeing Abraham's God was stronger than any god in Egypt, he asked Abraham, why did you lie? How could you have known about this God and lied to me? Why have you done this to me? And so seeing that Yahweh is the better God, Pharaoh sends Abram back to where he came from under the protection of his own men. You see, Abram wouldn't protect his bride or the seed that would come from her. But God would. And He would preserve His promises for that seed. For that promise is the Messiah. And it's that Messiah that will come and do better than Abram in protecting and watching over His bride. He would lay down His life for her. And He would never, ever abandon her to the enemy. So that we would have nothing, church, nothing in this world to fear. Just like Paul says, what can separate you from this kind of love? Nothing in all the earth, not even death. What have you to fear in trial if this be true? So, how do we manage trial? For it will surely come, Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew. Here's his promise. Trial will come. But I will turn your sorrow into joy. I will see you again. And I have told you these things so that in Me you can have peace. There's the source. Whatever afflicts in Him, you may have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. what is more, He has given us the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, who dwells in us, and He will not lose His home because some trial has come. But He will sure it up. He'll make it stronger. Trial will be the cementing of the foundation if we will trust in God. So let us manage trial as Christ did when He was in the Garden of Gethsemane. The weight of the world literally beginning to crush Him. The sin of all the people, even those who had already left their houses with torches to come and crucify Him. And He cries out to the Lord in such utter distress in the midst of it. Not My will, Lord, but Your will be done. I submit to you in all things. And He warns His disciples. He says, watch and pray that you might not be tempted. Tempted to what? Unbelief! The same unbelief we see here. The same unbelief we have when things get difficult. Lord, help my belief. Because I know of my unbelief. That's an acceptable prayer, by the way so that we can finally find our answer in the last question. What do we do when God wounds us? Abram is smarting under the wounds he has received. We don't hear him justifying himself to Pharaoh why he did what he did. He doesn't make excuse about how he was starving and afraid and he had to do what he did. He doesn't justify his lie. Instead, we don't hear him speak. He goes silently back to where he came from, and he returns to what is promised. If we look in in the next chapter, he goes back to Bethel. Back to where he first set up his tent. Back to where there was an altar. It says he journeyed back to Bethel to the place where he had his tent at the beginning. To where he had an altar of worship. And there he called upon the name of the Lord. What a merciful Father we have. And this is where trial is meant to lead us. Sometimes trial feels the opposite of love. It hurts and it is unpleasant. It makes you desperate to find relief in something that is pleasant. And our bleary, tear-stained eyes search often for some kind of relief. And Scripture never denies that many, frankly, all saints, will shed a tear in grief and sorrow and suffering. And that is why God protected Sarai and Abram. He was protecting His seed, the Messiah, for this living and sure hope that Jesus would come bearing the wounds in our place. That He would come and be familiar with all our suffering. That He would know intimately what it is to be human and what you go through, what you struggle with. That He would bear it all on the cross for our sake. And He would triumphantly announce in His last breath, it is finished! He secured it. The everlasting hope. In the midst of a world that has terrible trials and sufferings. So that the promises that they've been all along would bring us to Revelation 21. A place where He will bring in all those who are part of the promise to Abram. Where the promise stands. God is with man. Dwelling among them. We will be His people and God will be with them as their God. And here's my favorite part. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. What hope do you have if it's not this? Therefore, each wound and each trial is the training ground of taking hold of this reality and longing all the more for it as we run this, this race of faith that has all kinds of bruised knees and scraped up hands because you fall over and over again. But press on as Paul calls us to do. Believing in these promises for in the end, the victors will be crowned. And each wound that you have taken will be something that you look back on from heaven's perspective. And you will give all the more praise to God for His mercy and His provision. And that is hard to see when you're right in the middle of it. We will see that His discipline of us in trial was the same as a stonemason that takes up the hammer and sees this block of stone and begins hammering it and chiseling at it and shaping, and shaping, yes, through the hard wounding hits of a hammer. He breaks off the pieces and he shapes it into the likeness which he has imagined. And if you looked in his early work, you'd look at it and go, what's that going to be? God sees the whole picture even though we don't. As dark as the prospects were for Abram, we know this. His promises will come to pass. This is enough. It's the daily bread your soul can feed on when the land has nothing to offer you. It is what Israel was to know in the wilderness when they heard this story. And today, I will give you what you need, God says, on the ground. Bread. Today, I will give you what you need. And it is enough. But the trials of this life show your weaknesses so that you may be drawn to His greatness. What do we do when He wounds us? You go to the balm. We trust that a bruised reed or a faintly burning wick He will not put out. And we believe, as Hebrews 12 says, that He disciplines those that He loves. For what? For your good. That we might share in His holiness. And He says, therefore, lift up your drooping hands. In praise and strengthen your weak knees and stand and be healed. Well, how gracious God was to Abram. He preserved his life despite his blunders. And He brought him home all the richer in His mercy and blessing. Grace abounds in trial. Believe it. Count on it. Oh, how gracious He is even with you when you fail to pass the test as Abram did. Because there is mercy upon mercy and grace upon grace. Amen? Let's pray.